0: All right, so funny thing happened on the way to a sermon this week, as often happens. I go for my walk, and who knows, right? But I go for my walk this week, and what happens is that I've got two sort of, they're not competing ideas about what to do, but they're, but they're different. They're very different, okay? And they're two sort of different thoughts, and I didn't make any connection between them at all. So let me just tell you the two thoughts and then what God did. The first thought is, it's November, November is that time of year that marriages take the absolute biggest hit of any time of the year. This is the worst time for marriages by far. And the reason why is because it's November in the Northwest where it started to rain. Where, the, where if, you, if you go to work at 7 o'clock in the morning until today when the time shifted, If you go to work at 7 o'clock in the morning or even 7.30, it is pitch dark. There's not even on the horizon yet any indication it's ever going to become day. (laughs) And then you go into a cubicle and you work all day long. And if you get out of there, it's what, 5.30? Right? You're driving home in the dark. Okay? This is a drag. Two months ago, life was so good. You know, it was fun and everything was bright and joyful and, and when you ran into your spouse it was because you were happy and you were happy together even though you were bouncing off of each other and doing other things. I'm not saying there's never any friction at that moment in time, but there's just so much joy and brightness and lightness that it overcomes. As opposed to what happens when November hits and your blood is going through its oil change from that nice light summer weight grade to that sludge that is the beginning of November. You know, it'll be gone by the time Thanksgiving is over and lights go up, right? At that point in time, you've learned to live with the sludge and you're moving along with it quite fine. But right now, the problem is you've gone from being able to sort of go and do and be anything that you wanna be to literally being cooped up with this other person that part of you really, really, really loves and another part of you because you're just sort of feeling a little eh, anyway is eh, about that person, right? And so there's this friction. And you're close enough to where the friction happens enough that every once in a while a little spark comes off and catches. <laughs> and there's a little fire. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're going, what the heck is going on with us? And like I say, this too will pass. But at this time of year, I'm always thinking, what can, you know, Lord, what do you want to do that's going to give people some hope, that's going to give them a little perspective again and and just help them get through this moment? That doesn't mean you still don't have to work on things and so on, but what can we do to get through this moment? So I'm always looking for that. So I'm out on my prayer walk, and I'm asking the Lord, what would you say to everybody about this? And then I've got this other idea that I said. And the other idea runs something like this. Y'all know if you've been coming that we, I've been pushing a particular button pretty hard. And that particular button is you, what God started in September is we don't get it. And that not getting it about what our lives are to be and what they really are. We, see, we've come to a certain sort of, I would call it compromise. It doesn't feel like that. But we've come to a certain place in our lives that we feel like we've got church, we've got family, we've got job, and we've got friends, and we've got other responsibilities, and maybe even a hobby's thrown in there, although that's kind of almost out the window now that all these wonderful companies let us come and go whenever we want, which means we just stay there all the time, okay? And so the bottom line is, is that we are just totally overburdened, I, I, and, and we've been pushing this button on, there's something about our lives that are not the way that God wants them. And Josh Morris, two weeks ago, I just think that this is such an important thing to have in our heads. He said, you know, let's be be real. I'm afraid to ask God what he wants me to do because he might answer. And then that would just be one more thing in this mass of stuff. And how am I ever going to do that, right? Right? and this is what he said, and I just thought that was genius. And, and I wanna say something. That's very much what God wanted to say. I've always had this concept in my mind. I'm totally in a sidebar right now, okay? I'm in the introduction of the sermon. But I got a sidebar out, because yesterday I had a conversation with somebody about this sermon series, and they said something that I went, boy, this would really be helpful to clear up real quick. Let me just put it this way. When I'm saying that we don't have our lives right, and that there needs to be a shift, I am not talking about adding something to only. I'm talking about taking something off. I'm talking about a shifting of what we do. Taking a lot off and adding something in. I think, I've always said this, Satan is trying to keep you from doing God's will. There's two ways he can do it. On this side of the ditch is just not understanding that God is powerful and that he's doing anything, so you have a form of God you deny its power and you're just ineffectual, right? once you start figuring out that God is actually real and he wants you to do something, then what Satan does is he pops you right up onto the road, but then over into the other ditch where what you end up doing is too many things to ever actually do the one thing. This is what he does to us. And so I think there's a lot of things that people are doing that even look religious and are not actually what God is asking them to do, right? So there's this there's this problem now you need to understand how I look at this and what I've been saying this whole time it just maybe didn't get communicated until God spoke to Josh and that was I'm not looking for you to do more I'm actually looking for you to change your life in this way when when before I came to this church 18 years ago now before I came here I was pastoring a church that had gone through a crisis so I was managing I was literally there every Sunday morning managing the crisis I was also working at a church that was in Lander, Wyoming. I was working at a church in Jackson, Wyoming on staff in another church that was in crisis. I was also planting a church in Dubois, Wyoming. I was also, I don't know, it really wasn't a church, but it was a group of people that were frustrated and they needed a fellowship, and so I was doing another fellowship in Moran, Wyoming. I was also helping a church over the mountains and down the valley. So I was doing six different churches at one time, essentially. I was tired. (laughs) When I I was leaving, what I thought to myself was, is I just want to go to one church that's happy and healthy. I I was looking at a church in Colorado, and it was a larger church, and it was a great church, and Jim Hayford, who brought me here, said, you don't want to go there. Everything about them, they're they're just so good that they're just the same. And I was like, Jim, don't say that to me. <laughs> That's what I want. I just want a healthy church that so I can just come in and do some stuff and, and relax and rest. But God called me here, and I want to tell you something. Now watch. For two years, I worked really hard when I got here in two years. This was a church in trouble. I didn't want to come to a church in trouble, and this was a church in trouble, And I, and I, but for two years, I worked really hard, and I rested for two years. In In... You know, God made the world in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. Do you realize that all of human history is in the seventh rest day of God's? So I was doing a work, but I was getting rest. Now, after two years, it's very important, after two years, God was wanting me to shift, and I kept doing all the stuff that I was doing, and so instead of him doing it and me getting rest, now I was starting to get burned out. And I've been 16 years... Still trying to figure out how to get to obedience. How to get back to where he want, where I'm doing what he wants me to do and nothing more. Because when I'm doing what he wants me to do, even if I work long, even if I work hard, it's a piece that passes understanding. You're in his rest. This is what I'm arguing for. There's things that we are doing that are causing us stress, that are causing us to think we have no bandwidth. But really what's happening is is we're not lined up the way that God has and so we're not, we've not entered into his rest even in the midst of what he's calling us to do. We do it out of ourselves. And so we're tired, worn out, burned out. You see it? So this is the sidebar. And what I want to say is in this thing that I'm pushing the button so hard on about hearing the cries from the neighborhood across the street, hearing the cries from Rainier Ave, hearing the cries of people right here in our own community that are living in existences that are extremely different than ours. And what are we doing about it? I want us to hear that. as I continue to push that button, okay, and I'm back out of of this thing, I was saying to myself on the prayer walk, I was saying, I don't wanna push the button too much, Lord, because I know something. You can, you can push and push and push and push, and if you push too hard, what happens in people is they start to resist. They become insulin resistant to you and what you're saying. And so the harder you push, the more it entrenches them in a resistance to what God's trying to call them to do. So there's a wisdom in how you present and how you, how you go after these things. And so I felt like, as of, on my walk, I just felt like I need to be really careful because I don't feel like I'm supposed to push on this thing to this week. I feel like we're supposed to do something different. I'm thinking probably it's marriage. And I'm thinking about doing a totally different sermon, right? So I'm out there, and I'm still kind of wrestling with what it is because it's not clear and it's not obvious what the Lord's saying. And all of a sudden, he says, those two thoughts you have, marriage and this thing about getting into cultures that last week, Chantel, when she was interviewing the people from Jubilee Reach, said it just perfectly, and I, I really admire her for having said this, because she got up and she said, let me be clear, when I first got involved in Jubilee Reach, there were cultures that I was dealing with that I feared. I didn't know them, I'd never been in them, I didn't know what to expect, the only thing I'd seen is media portrayals and so on, and the, and the idea was is, there was a thing I was a little scared about. And I loved her transparency when she said that. And the thing that I want to say is, is, What the Lord did with me on that walk was all of a sudden he showed me something. He showed me a revelation about love that works, even if your marriage is incredible, it makes it surpassingly so. If your marriage is in trouble, it totally takes it to a different place. If your relationship with your boss is problematic, it takes it to an entirely different place. If your relationship with somebody that you, you know, a family member is difficult, this revelation takes it to an entirely different place. A friend who, you know, you kind of, you know, right? It can take it to an entirely different place. In fact, this revelation about love plays so strongly that if you find yourself sitting in a culture where you're uncomfortable personally, a culture different than your own, a tribe that is not your own, And you're in the middle of that tribe, but there's a way of being in that tribe in love that casts out fear. That makes you be Christ in the middle of it. All of a sudden I saw was, oh my gosh, this is what God does with us. This is what Jesus did with us. This is why he was who he was. Friend of tax collectors and sinners. So this is what we're going to talk about today. Long introduction, short sermon. I've said it before. Trust me on this one. Okay. Uh, Jeff Campo. This is awesome. Okay, Jeff right here. Jeff and Melissa preached this summer. Right back here. Here he is, right here. So Jeff, lift up the sermon. Lift up another church, would you please? Lord, thank you for this day. Um, Thank you for everybody who's here, who's streaming at home. Uh, Please bless this message today and uh, help us all to hear what you have say to each of us. Thank you, Jesus. I also want to lift up together uh, North Creek Presbyterian Church. Uh, help us all as members of the same body really enjoy your presence today. Amen. Jesus name. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. I'm to have a clicker. Okay. All right. Three kinds of love. We've all heard this before. I'm going to do it briefly. I want to, go, want to get past it. Arrows. The love of an other for what that person can do for me. Okay, now I, I can't look at anybody when I say this because we're talking about Eros and erotic. So the point is, is imagine a person up here. I wish I could put Julie up here, but even then that probably wouldn't work great. So, bottom line. Okay, here's this person. Now here's what Eros is. And I want you to understand there's a dimension along which we're doing a spectrum in order to understand the difference between these loves, and it has to do with self. Eros is about yourself, Eros is about, I love that thing, object can be an object on a computer screen, it could be a person, but I love that, whatever it is, for what it can do for me, see, Eros, it's all about me and what I want, self, number one, number two, philos, this is friendship. Somebody that you love. We love each other. We get a lot out of our relationship. There's a mutual benefit to the exchange. So self is certainly in there, but it's not all that's in there, right? There's a love of the other person, and they love me back, and we have a mutual benefit from this relationship. But self is in there. Agape. The love of another without any thought or expectation of the love being returned to me always remember this whenever you hear the word agape this was a word that was virtually not in existence it it existed but it was not used you really couldn't hardly find it in the other literature of the day agape is essentially a word that john made popular agape is a love without any thought of self in it do we get it it's self-sacrificial Agape is a love that has to do with a sacrifice that I'm making for the other person. Now watch this. The person that we're talking about when we say that, of course, that showed us this, the reason why John was able to take this obscure word and make it common was because he said this is what Jesus did. Now somebody will come along and they will say, Oh no, wait a minute. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So in other words, there was a mutual benefit, see? He endured the cross because there was a benefit to come back. See it? But here's what the problem is. That worked for everybody who came to Jesus. But what about all the people that he also died for? In theology, there's something called limited atonement. And limited atonement just simply means this. It means Christ only died for those who were going to accept him. That's just not true. It's reformed. it's It's not true. The truth is, is Christ died for every single person so that every single person would have the same opportunity to come to God. That's the truth. And the problem is, see, Jesus died, therefore, for a whole lot of people that were never gonna come, for, come to him. But he still loved them enough to give his life for them. I'd say that's loving them pretty much. In fact, the way that the scripture says it, for all of us is, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. See it? In fact, a little gruesome here. Warning up front. Okay, buyer beware. Close your eyes if you don't like gruesomeness. Not too bad, but, but a little bit gruesome. I want, what I want you to understand, because we need to bring it all the way home. Oh, the twins are here. Oh, how awesome. Oh, congratulations. This is so cool. All right, sorry. Squirrel. All right. But it's not a squirrel day today, okay? I'm just saying. All right. All right. Now, Now, watch. Jesus died not just for the soldier that was doing this to him you do understand that we're the ones that did that to him it was our sin that drove the nails into his hands and that put him up on that cross right so who dies for that person who loves the person that's nailing them to a cross nobody Well, actually, somebody. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. See it? This is the love that God has for us. Right? Now, having said that, I need us to understand something. Remember the spectrum that we're looking at. Eros and philos are both love that have self in them. Agape is love that has no self in it. It's only projected towards the other. When God comes along and tells us this, all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment, here's what he's saying. When we add self, we pollute the garment because his love is without thought of return. His love is for the other Utterly. You see it? As soon as we add self to the way that we're loving, and you say, wait a minute, friendship is fine. Mutual benefit. And I want to say yes, but I want to show you how to have a friendship that surpasses any friendship you've ever had before. And that is to start loving like God loves, without thought of self. In fact, let me do it this way. Having, why having self in our love for others is harmful harmful the first one is when we try to change people whether it be our spouse or somebody else when we try to change people we are in essence trying to get them to conform to our image or at least who we want them to be which is not necessarily who god wants them to be see as soon as we try to change somebody so that they can port more with what we want Maybe you luck out and it happens to be what God wants too. But let's just take that, that moment. Let's just take the reality of it. Most of the things that we're trying to change in other people are not don't have anything to do with what God wants them to be. It just has to do with we're annoyed. Whether it's a spouse or another kind of relationship, right? They just bug us. And so we're trying to change them to quit bugging us. It's about me. You see it? It's a self-oriented thing. Now, here's what the problem is. When you do that, it, as iron sharpens iron, as a friend sharpens, iron, sharpens iron. oh sorry. Let me say this, watch. You do realize that you can, in fact, try and change somebody. We're supposed to be helping each other change, right? We're supposed to be stone sharpens stone and iron sharpens iron. We're supposed to be doing that. But we're supposed to be doing that as God would lead. Not as just irritates us. There's a way of helping someone change that has to do with who God wants them to be and you are made by God and put in their life to help that happen. But we're not talking about that today. What we're talking about is the all too much more common thing of you bother me. When you do that, you bother me. It's an amazing thing in marriage that we get married to somebody, and they don't change, but we like them less. <laughs> we, we have these things about them that we love. <coughs> Excuse me. We're all about them and everything's great. (coughs) There's these little things that we know aren't exactly what we like, but they just don't mean anything in the light of the surpassing love, right? But then, you know, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease because the more time that we spend with them, the more time that all the things we love about them just become sort of commonplace. And the stuff that bugs us about them gets louder and louder and louder and louder. See it? So what happens is, we're talking about that. We're talking about the stuff that they do that bugs us, that we don't want them to do anymore. All right. So, to the degree we succeed, we make them someone they're not supposed to be. To the degree that I succeed in making somebody who I don't, I want them to conform to the image that I have of them, and I want them to be so it's good for me. To the degree that I do that, I'm not just well. I'm causing them to be somebody they're not supposed to be. In fact. Let's go to the next one because it really brings it home. It makes them have to be two people. How many people, when you're going to a party that is not necessarily, again, the place that you're comfortable with, and in fact, it's outside of your normal, normal place of behavior and personality, right? How many people like it when you're in a room and you're having to be somebody that you're not because that's what the room calls for. You see what I'm saying? You like that? Isn't that uncomfortable? You have to sort of you know, fake it and put up a facade and you know, you, you know, you're just trying to get along and be nice and all that kind of stuff, but you know, this is not cool, right? Well, how would you like to be in a marriage and have to be two people? And I'm telling you, a lot of people are having this happen. You don't realize it's happening. And right now, here's what's happening. In a marriage, now watch this, very important point. In a marriage, there's always a more dominant personality and, and than the other personality, right? Right now, the less dominant person is saying, yeah, he's been doing that to me, or yeah, she's been doing that to me. She's been making me be somebody that I'm not. Do you understand something? This goes to every single person, because even though that may be true that they're more culpable than you are, we all do it. To some extent, there's something about the other person, unless there really is, is there anybody in here that when you think about this person that you love so much, there's never, there's not, see, literally not one thing that bothers you about them. Is there anybody in here that that's true? Okay. Did you raise your hand? Oh. <laughs> a lightning bolt (laughs) right right i mean the point is we all have this thing in there and then depending on how much it's bothering us again depending on the nature of the relationship you may be trying to change it or you just may be doing these subtle little things right but either but the point is we're trying to get them to change to stop doing what bothers us we're trying to get them to change in some image into who we think they should be and the problem with that is It makes a person have to be two people. It makes them have to be who you want them to be and who they actually are. And people are, when people are in a difficult marriage, you you know this. You get trapped into this thing. You don't know how to get out of it. What the heck? What am I supposed to do with this? See? Now, the funny thing is, they don't like that. (laughs) Right? Nobody likes being conformed into your image. And the problem is, you don't like it. <laughs> when somebody is double-minded, when somebody is going through something that's causing this kind of friction, and they've got this facade, and they're trying to deal with, and they're trying to, it just, it just discombobulates everything, doesn't it? And now, here's the point. See, you're looking at them and saying, boy, you're so messed up. And the problem is, it's you that did it to them. Not totally, not in every regard, but in some significant fashion, you're responsible (laughs) for the issues that they're dealing with because there is another way to treat them, which we're going to be getting to in one second, but let me just get to this last one. The irony is, had we just learned who they were made to be, we would have liked and loved them more. If we had just learned who they were really supposed to be and just loved them for who they were. Here's the thing. You had no idea who you married. You had some other idea about who it was. And that's just not who they were. That's just the truth. Thank God for blinders or none of us would ever get married. Okay? It just happens. All of a sudden you're there. Now what? See, and then all this other stuff happens and all this time and all this damage and all this pain and all of these other things that take place. In fact, the weird thing is, now this is, watch this. This is what our title is. Why having self in our love for others is harmful. That person being who they were supposed to be in the Lord is what would have changed you. You can make God in your own image and serve and worship him. He won't fit comfortably in that box for very long, but you can do it. And then you don't have to Change. This is a lot what our whole series is about. You don't have to change when you made God into an image to where you're okay. But when you really discover who he is, I don't care how good you are. When you come before him, you realize who you are. When you come before the real God, it calls you. Not in a condemning way, not in an oh, you're such a schmuck way, it's But in a very real way you realize oh my gosh i have to deal with this some of you know hebrew enough to know that i shouldn't have probably said that word i said but sorry about that okay all right let's go to the next one what happens when we see people for who they actually are in him what happens when we start doing a different thing we see what's him in them and what's attached itself to them think about this for a second here's who i believe we all are because we were created in god's image we are a diamond a true diamond with a reflective property for him that is extraordinary people look into it and see a dazzling array of who god is when they when they really see you that's what they see it's 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 beautiful but we're all diamonds in the rough right now we got a lot of stuff that's attached itself to us maybe we've done something maybe something's happened to us Whatever it is, there's, there's parasitical mineral-deposited crud that has attached itself to that facet so that it's not functioning properly. God's goal is to cut that off. God's tool is the person that you love. Not his only tool, but the people that really love you and that see the diamond are the ones that can call out the crud, call out the crust, call out what doesn't belong there. It's Michelangelo saying, "How how did you do David? Well, I just cut away all the parts of the marble that weren't David. See it? This is what we're supposed to be doing. When you do that, what you end up doing is you participate in who God has made and is making them to be and I'm, I'm using both verb tenses here because the truth is sanctified is now not yet there is this thing that God has created which is this perfect diamond but there is this crud that has not yet been fully chipped away so has made and is making and when when you start understanding who they really are and you can really see what really is God and what really is junk then you can be used by him much more to help cut away what's junk. And by the way, the other person will be much more receptive to that if you're not also at the same time trying to make them into your image because of the parts of them that bother you. See that? When you do that, you undermine your ability to stay focused on the thing that God's trying to do with you through them, to them, and for them. Do you see it? Am I going too fast? Did I lose anybody yet? Raise your hand if I did. Okay, and then I turned away, so you couldn't see it. What happens is you fall utterly in love with God's gift to you. When you start seeing who a person is really supposed to be, in him, even with the other stuff gunked up, you can you cannot love him. You're like you're the, you feel like you did when you fell in love with him. You're the most incredible thing I've ever met. You're the most incredible person. You are phenomenal. I can't wait to spend every minute of my life with you. You are amazing. I want to be with you. And guess what happens when people really, really, when you really, really, really want to be with somebody that you love, whether it be a spouse, whether it be a friend, whether it be a family member, what happens when you really, really love them and really want to be with them? What happens? They fall already in love with you. Now, remember, it's not, you don't do it in order to get. If you do to get, then you put yourself in it in a way that causes you to be messed up. But what you're doing is, is is it's just, when you do it right, when you're utterly focused on them and who they are in God and seeing how beautiful they are and how incredible they are, and you're calling that out of them and it's happening to them, and, and you're just crazy about them, then they tend to be, we're just made this way. When somebody's crazy about us, we tend to be crazy about them. And now the whole world, as Jesus prayed, is becoming one. With God, with one another. We're doing the one another part so that we learn what it actually looks like so that we can do the God part better. Right? So if this is all true, if there's a harm in having self in your love for somebody else, if there's a huge benefit, if there's a huge blessing in not having self in there, then the question that we ought to ask is, is, so how can we utterly get rid of self so that we can see who they truly are in him? How do we do this? Now, this is where my prayer time, I was going, I, I, God gave me this revelation about loving somebody completely like this, and I was going, wow, this is incredible. This can change everything, but how do you do that? Because I don't know about you, but I'm incapable of doing anything that doesn't have me in there somewhere. I am a polluted rag. It's just always there, right? Sometimes I can get rid of it quite a bit. But even then, it's still... So how do I utterly get rid of self? And I was asking more this. And all of a sudden, I just love it when God does this. You know, the thing, that's, the thing about E equals MC squared is as einstein said it's beautiful and what he meant by that was it's simple and he said in fact we're going to know the greatest truths in all of the world in all of creation we're going to know that they're true in part because they're beautiful meaning they're simple and all of a sudden i just saw why do you love this person lord do you remember where this comes from If you've been coming here for any length of time, I've always told you, if you ever get into a situation with somebody where they've done something to you or they're just a person that's great, it's really hard to love them, either because they've done something to you or just because of who they are. and, and, And particularly, if they've done something to you in a way that you can't forgive them. How can I forgive this person for that? There's one way that works, and only one that I've ever discovered that truly works. I know lots of good ways to cover it over and function, but I don't know any way to obliterate it, except this. What do you love about that person that wronged me so badly, Lord? What do you love about them? And man, if they wronged you, that's a hard question to ask. Because what if he actually answers you and tells you what he loves about them? Because the truth is, is you're going to fall in love with them. Because when you see what God sees about somebody, you can't help but not fall in love with them because they're a beautiful diamond. They're gorgeous, gloriously, right? And then I would add a second one, which is the same thing, but who have you made them to be? Now, no, no, just watch this. We're starting with marriage. We're going on our spectrum now all the way over to a different culture. But watch this for a second. What would your marriage look like if every time you thought about your spouse, the first thing you did was to ask God, why do you love Julie, Lord? That would be the one I would do, right? Please don't do that. Okay, no. Just kidding. Why do you love Julie, Lord? Why do you love her? See, the first time I thought about it, because I'm thinking about something that might be bugging me because that's what you think about because the squeaky wool gets the grease. But if I train myself, Josh Morris's concept, that Josh brought us from the Lord, if I train myself that every time I think of Julie, I train myself to stop whatever thought I'm having and to have another thought first. What do you love about her, Lord? And who have you made her to be? Would, would that change your marriage? Do you think that that would change how you look at your spouse? Do you think it would change the very nature of the thought that you were having? Because you were having some thought about something that bugged you and all of a sudden you said, what do you love about her and who did you make her to be? It still may be that there's something about the thing, but you just see how it totally changes it? It puts an entirely different light on it so as to change its character and nature completely. Because now the thing you're thinking about is in the context of another thing. But but let's go on from that. We don't have to just stay in marriage on this. Well, how would every relationship in your life, what if you were going to your boss, who you really have learned to hate? And the first thing, whenever you thought about that boss, you trained yourself, that the first thing you would say to yourself is, why do you love that person, Lord? And who have you made that person to be? Can you just imagine the person that you hate, that you're just trying to live your life as far away from as possible so that it doesn't drive you nuts and you have to quit. Can you just imagine if you were to become an agent of change in their life? Not to quit doing what you don't like, but to have them start being who God meant them to be. To get rid of some of the crusty crud that is causing them to be cruddy to you. Can you imagine? How much that would change things what about a family member (laughs) most people have one i don't i'm so fortunate but most people have one member in the family that is just a pill tough hurts you many times if you trained yourself that every time you thought about that person every time you thought about this person the first thing you did was what do you love about that person and who have you made them to be Do you think it would change your thoughts about them? Do you think it would change how you act around them? Better. Do you think it would change how you react around them? On and on we go, right? Is there a relationship that you could have that wouldn't do this? So let me take it to the end of the spectrum now. Actually, let me do one thing first. When I'm thinking about this, I've got an image in my mind, and it goes like this: H- How many people in here take good pictures? Raise your hand if you take a good picture. It's going to be way less than half. You know why most people? You know why most people don't take good pictures? This is a really. E- I'll teach you how to get a good picture of you from now on. Real simple. When somebody's taking a picture about of you, don't think about yourself. I don't know how the camera can catch it, but if you are inward focused when a picture is being taken about you, you have closed yourself off to the person that's looking at you on the picture and you've taken a bad picture of yourself. But if you'll do this, if you'll look through the camera at the person that's looking at this picture, whoever it is, and you love them and you're smiling at them as if you love them. See, not about me. You're thinking about the person that's looking at this picture. If you will, they, they say the camera loves that person. You know what they're doing? They're looking at the person who's looking at the picture. And somehow the, somehow the camera is able to catch this, this thing that's so tiny we can't even pick it up. And it's able to know that what you care about is the person who's looking at it. And then people tend to like people that care about what they think. <laughs> this person cares about me. This person's looking at me. So I'm looking at them and I like them. The same thing, the same dynamic happens when you're being introduced to somebody you don't know. Most people cannot remember their name. You know why? Because you're thinking about yourself. Is my shirt right? Does my hair look good? Am I being stupid? Am I being smart? Am I, what am I? See what I mean? You're thinking about yourself, so you're not focused on them at all. And guess what? They pick up on that, and they're doing the same thing back. So it's two people who are thinking about themselves trying to get to know each other. Right? Bump and, Right? Just don't think about yourself. Just care about that other person. Just in your eyes, just look at them and love them. Right? I'm going to take it all the way now by going to the spectrum here. One more. When When we pray for the kids, we just did it with Benjamin's last week. When we pray for the kids, I always pray something. I pray, God, let their actions be such as to raise this child in the way that they should go, but even more so, let their reactions Because here's the deal. You can be the most intentional parent ever, and your actions can be perfect about this child. What you intend to be, who you mean to be, everything else. You can be so good with them, but one reaction that, that betrays something that you've been hiding undermines almost all of it, doesn't it? One reaction that betrays a disappointment in them, no matter how much you've been telling how proud of them you are, if your reaction in the moment you know how hard it is to control reactions and one reaction undermines almost all of that other work we've got to get down to the point that this thing is so real and as Jesus talks about it's out of the heart that the words come it's out of the heart that this thing has to come I have this image Why was Jesus a friend of tax collectors and sinners? Because you know he told them to quit doing what they were doing, right? I mean, it wasn't like he said, it's cool, I'm going to go ahead and sin with you so that you'll like me. Right? He was confronting them, causing them to change. And they were actually changing. Why? Why in the world were they changing when (coughs) certain other people had come to them in their life and said, you should quit doing that. And they didn't change. Why did they change when Jesus said it? I have this image in my mind that he was so consumed with who the other person was without any thought about himself whatsoever that it was pouring out of his eyes. It was pouring out of his heart. It was pouring out of the micro-expressions that we all read not knowing that we can read them that what was pouring out of them was I'm for you we've never met and you're a tax collector or you're a prostitute or you're whatever you are and I'm for you I love you in many instances this may be the first time that these people have heard this (coughs) from anybody for decades I love you I'm for you everything in me is for you if everything in us has nothing to do with us if we're not blocking the flow of God's love for them. <coughs> do you see it? I think that's what they were getting hit with. I think they were going, "He's crazy about me." And so I like him. <laughs> right? I'm responding to him. Pretty soon, I'm gonna be down in Rainier Ave. I've spent a lot of time in inner cities, so I'm not uncomfortable with the idea. But can I, I wanna make something clear to you. I am not immune to the thought that I can walk into some situation with well-me- well-meaning and have somebody who has been hardened in ways that I do not understand do something to me that is quite harmful. I'm not unaware of the fact that there's a certain level of danger in this situation. And so if I go down there with that danger, Faceting me, blocking me from expressing and giving myself over to somebody, they're doing the same thing with me, by the way. Who is this white guy? Right? Who is this person? See it? So we're both sort of checking things, right? Dan- doing the little dance that you do, particularly when things could be a little volatile. What does he want from me? What's he going to do? What can I get from him? What can I. You see what I mean? All of these little gains. That we're all playing, but what happens if, when that person sees me, all they see is rivers of living water of love? I'm not dumb enough to to say that that's going to make me immune from what might happen, but we all know it's going to change the circumstances hugely. We have all been made for love, no matter how hardened we've gotten. Love is what penetrates. And when it's overflowing and when it's only focused on the other person and when everything in the person is about that other person and all you do is, I I am so crazy about you. You are such a good person. I can't even begin to tell you all the things I think God has planned for your life. You just keep going. We're going to be here and we're going to do everything we can to help you get to be everything that God has made you to be. And I cannot wait to see what that is. And even right now, who you are already is a joy to me. Every time I see you, I am overflowing with joy and love. Now that's a real moment. This is true what I'm saying. But we all know what this does. (laughs) This is the image in whom we have been made Because God says, I am love. (laughs) And whoever abides in me, abides in love, abides in me. And I abide in them. Which is to say this. If you'll just abide in love, real love, not self, not polluted, pure, let rivers of living water if you will abide in rivers of living water, of letting God's love pour through you by asking God, who have you made this person to be? What do you love about them? Having that in your heart, that's your first thing, and everything about you is oriented to that other person, and it's just pouring out of you. Well, then the thing that's pouring out of you is God. And God's like kind of powerful. He's the one that can make a difference. We're there? So here's what I'm asking you to do. In your packets or on your trays, everybody needs five of these. We were gonna print these out and I was just gonna have you uh, uh, scotch tape them. But here's the deal, I'm not gonna do that because all of a sudden I realized when you write something down yourself, you learn it better. So there's a pen in front of you and there's one of these. And it's got like five of them on there, however many it's got. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down on there, why do you love, and put a blank there, Lord. Because I'm not just talking about why do you love your spouse. I want you to start with a spouse if you have one, or a friend, or somebody that you're in a relationship with, right? That's a great place to start because it's easier. But ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to train ourselves to think about everybody this way. Everybody that we interact with, whether we know them or not. See it? And what I want you to do is write it down like five times. Please, put it on your mirror so that when you get up and you go to shave or, or brush your teeth or do whatever you do, it's right there. Why, why do you love this person, Lord? And who have you made them to be? I, this one right here is taken right where my computer is and where I work all day long, and it's right there on this co- uh, concrete column that sits right there. Okay? Put it on your computer screen. Put it on your desk. Put it everywhere. Get, get more of these. Put it everywhere you go, and then change them up. Remember, as soon as you see something in the same place for about two or three weeks, you quit thinking about it, right? You don't even know it's there anymore. You quit seeing it. So every when you realize you quit seeing it, then just move it to another part. That's all you got to do and you see it again. See it? So would you just take a minute? Worship, could somebody come up and start just doing a little backfill for us here? I want, yes, go ahead. No, I want a blank. It's blanks. Each time, just like this, why do you... Why do you love blank? Because we're trying to teach ourselves every relationship. So whoever it is, this is what we're doing. And just write it down five times because it's gonna help you remember it. It's gonna help you get it in your heart. And as you're writing it, be praying. What about my boss? What about my spouse? What about that family member? What about my friend? What about this neighbor? See what I mean? So while we're doing this, write it down And just be praying for them as you're writing it down. Why do you love so-and-so, Lord? Who have you made them to be?